Can I get some braziers like that for the front of the house? It was pouring rain and they're just flaming on. Hey, Maniacs! Midsummer Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah, and you just happen to be listening to the show that was just described to you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for downloading us. Or trying. <laughs> Watching us on the YouTube. Ah, we're going to dig into Death and the Divas, which is season 15, episode four today. One, one of the things that I, I got from the analytics, because our provider gives us some more analytics now than ever before, mm-hmm. is a lot of people listen to us on mobile. So we're in people's ears. What are you doing while you're listening? People are watching. Are you lying in bed? Are you on the subway? <laughs> I see you. <laughs> They're probably like me. They're doing things around the house. Probably. Dishes, laundry, moving stuff, cleaning, whatever. I want to know how Cooking. many how what the relationship between podcasts and folding laundry is. Mm, probably pretty high. Probably pretty high. If you're folding laundry, do a shout out right now. Hey, maniacs. <laughs> Mom, why are you calling the towels maniacs again? <laughs> Ah, speaking of children, if you let your kids watch the show, they can listen to the podcast, or if you let them watch Hammer movies, which I suggest you do. There's a sex scene in this episode, though. Wow. Feet in the air. He is working. You might have to explain that (laughs) if you got somebody younger watching. There's no nudity, but he's... That's all we're going to talk about it, though. We've just referenced it. Yep. Um, If you haven't watched Death and the Divas recently, we're going to spoil it. So just so you know, we're going to give away who does it. We, I don't, we couldn't do it if we did. I mean, if we no. didn't say who, who the killer was, this would be a very short podcast. Well, that's why the minis, we don't give away anything. That's right. That's why they're minis, because we can't talk about who the killer is. This is Joan's 50th episode. We only have two Jones left. Yeah, there's a good picture online of him and Neil Dungeon having a cake. With 50 on it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Just two more Jones episodes. Two more left. Jones regular episodes because he appears yeah. later on. He comes back, but he's not the sergeant no. anymore. No. We've been asking for fun design ideas for t shirts and stickers and bags and stuff, and we've got some really good ones in lately. I'm definitely going to be doing a Midsummer University shirt. Yeah. For sure. I, I need that. Yeah. And there's a design that is basically finished that i'm going to be putting up soon that is sykes and a whole bunch of murder weapons yes like he's sitting on a wheel of cheese and there's a roulette wheel with him and a gargoyle and some eels and eggs yep and uh the fork from this episode is stuck in the wheel of cheese right next to him so that's going to be coming out soon i think i did a pretty good job on it i would agree it's fantastic I have a challenge for you for the Midsummer University shirt. Okay. I want it to look so much like a university, actual university shirt, that when I wear it to work, somebody goes, where's Midsummer? I'm on it. Because we live in a university town. Yeah. And we live in a top tier university town. So 
like some places in America, if you see some guy with a Harvard shirt on, you're like, oh yeah, you went to Harvard, right? Sure you did, yeah. But here, you're like, oh no, I got my PhD there. Yeah. Okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> All right, challenge accepted. Yes. I can do that. This episode filmed in April, May 2012, broadcast the 2nd of January 2013, 6.49 million views. Nick Lachlan is who directed it, and I was very pleased to see, and I think it's one of the reasons why I think this episode is so good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this may be one of my top five episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, written by two women, Rachel Cooperman and Sally Griffith. They understand Midsummer. They understand Midsummer, and they understand Hammer Horror. <laughs> this yes. is a love letter to the 1970s. Yes. <laughs> 60s, oh, really, in 70s. Oh, yeah. my God. They get so many things completely right in how this, how the fake Hammer movies are presented. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely stunning and that idea is integrated really well into the plot and the story it's yeah i mean if if it's not in my top 10 it's in my top 15 probably we have lots of times where we're like i don't understand the motive here Mm -hmm. and i don't understand the inciting incident this has a prime inciting incident yep and prime motive it all makes sense all makes sense and it's super fun There are more loonies than you can shake a stick at in this episode. (laughs) my God. Because we open up in London with gaslight. Yeah. On a scene from some Hammer-esque vampire movie. And how do we know it's Hammer-esque? It's got the crazy zooms. Yeah. It's got the smoke. It's got the weird camera angles. It's got the green light. And sort of... It's got the hissing. Shallow acting, kind of. Like, kind of over the top. Not so convincing acting. Yep. And cleavage. Yes. There's always cleavage. There's, there's always a, a ton of cleavage in a hammer movie. We've got uh, a young Stella playing some kind of young Victorian, not Victorian, but. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, Victorian, Victorian woman yep. running down cobbled streets in the dark and she gets picked up by a handsome cab with an elderly gentleman in it who offers her a ride home because she's out on her own. Yep. But he's a vampire. Where is Christopher Lee <laughs> when we need him? They don't need Christopher Lee because they have John Carson. Yes. John Carson is playing older gentleman is what they credit him as. But the character's name is Marquis, the Marquis of Gravely. Mm-hmm. I just have vampire pensioner in my notes. <laughs> he's got to be the oldest vampire ever. Like vampires don't age. Okay. So if somebody's going to make you into a vampire, get them to do it while you're young and beautiful because that's what you're going to stay. If you're in your 70s and a vampire offers to bite you, uh, you might turn them down. Yeah. You might say, you know what? I don't want to have arthritis for the next 400 years. Well, then you have the problem on the opposite end, which is the interview with the vampire problem. The little girl. Where the little girl is Which is vampire. also not right. Yeah. But Vampire Pensioner, the Marquis of Gravely, is played by John Carson. Do you know what movies he was in? Okay. This is the first of, of two actors who play tiny bit parts in this episode that these directors dug up, found, honored, and said, you are actually hammer horror actors, and we want you in this episode. I think, because I watched it this le- this week, is he in Creeping Flesh? 
Uh, not that I know of. Okay. He's in Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Oh, which I watched today because, oh my gosh, I love it. He's in The Man Who Haunted Himself, which stars Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Taste of the More Blood. More on Roger Moore later. Taste the Blood of Dracula from 1970. Yes. Plague of the Zombie from 1966. Which is in this, uh, there's a poster for Plague of the yeah. Zombie in this. And Blood Beast from Outer Space in 1965. Which has a different name in England, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. So, the the pensioner vampire in the carriage is played by Hammer Horror Royalty. If if you don't know those movies, you might not recognize them, but he's If he's the he's king. Awesome. She's the queen. We'll get to the queen yeah. later on. Yeah. Then we get Eve Lennox, and we get our first murder right away, because these writers know Midsummer. They understand. You don't wait 30 minutes for the first murder. You get it done right away. We're on We it. want murder. It's not Midsummer misdemeanors. No. I have to be honest, though. For some reason, I thought this was the episode in which had the exploding roulette table. <laughs> that would have been weird. <laughs> which, as I was starting to watch it, I was like, how is this going to work? She puts her laptop down and suddenly plays roulette for no reason whatsoever. And then I was like, no, that's a different episode. Yes. Because she gets stuck in the neck by a fork. Yes. Made to look like a vampire bite. This is Eve Lomax. She gets stabbed in the ne- neck with a two-pronged meat fork. Yes. I love the attention to detail in this episode. The Midsummer Murders is written in the Hammer style and appears yes. in the Hammer style. Yeah. The they don't change the titles. credits very often, yeah. but when they do, they do it for oh, a good reason. They did such a good job. So if her only injury is two two prongs of a fork sticking in her neck, now one of them does hit her jugular, Kate says. Yeah. That's a small hole. She would thrash around and be able to fight and cover it. Do you think you could put enough pressure on it yourself to to stop the bleeding or to at least slow it down enough to get help? We slow it down enough to get help. She should have stumbled into the green. There's a lot of blood sp- there sprayed around. There is a around. lot of blood. They were thoughtful about it. <laughs> I paused it and looked real close. And there's, they're in pairs. That There's like two trails everywhere <laughs> where you see it, like on the blanket on the corner. It's it's like if you had a spray bottle in each hand and you squeezed them at the same time, you know, like or like two squirt bottles. It looks like that. I, I think it's possible that a hole in your jugular would be too difficult for you to stop on your own. And if you're discombobulated and you don't know to ask for, you know, you can't get anybody's attention or whatever, you could die from it. Um, but it wouldn't be quick. What I think should have happened was the old blunt force trauma first. Yeah. If she was unconscious, then definitely she would have died of it. But it's exsanguination from a hemorrhage. Plus, okay, we love this episode, but she would have to have her neck really stretched, and she would, and the killer would have to shove that fork in really hard. <laughs> I don't think you'd have to have your neck stretched. Uh, it'd have to be really sharp, and I don't know how sharp those forks are. Sharp enough. They've got really long prongs. They do. They're like four inch prongs. That's like the length of your finger. Yes. If you shove that all the way into somebody's neck. Well, I'm not saying that you couldn't shove it in. You don't need them to tip their head over. I'm just saying it might be hard to get it in at first. (laughs) That's all. You got to really want to stab somebody if you're going to stab somebody. Perry's got no problem getting it in, but. You can't be hesitant with your your carving fork. Yeah. There's a film festival. The Mm -hmm. Stella... 
Harris Film Festival. Brought to you by the president of the Langley Film Society. Because this is Midsummer Langley. Yes. Which we've never visited before. And Colin Yule. Oh, who, Colin. Who is, who is fantastic. He's played by Pierce Quigley. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew him from The Detectorists. Because mm-hmm. he basically plays the same character, but less creepy in The Detectorists. He's yes. very good at playing the like nerdy, awkward, socially backward guy. Well, actually. Yes. The Fanny Packwell actually guy. Yep. He knows his movies. He does. He has a great collection. Not going to criticize his movie knowledge or his memorabilia collection. But otherwise, I wouldn't want to spend five minutes in a room with this man. (laughs) He's so horribly, awkwardly weird, (laughs) which is awesome. Like and the, and when he's, he's not on stage, aware right away, like right away, oh. he's like fastidious and yes. trying to run his film festival. But when but he enter, as he goes on, uh, when every- he introduces Stella at the movie festival, he's like horror movies, rawr. <laughs> and and there, it's just silence. Yeah, like awkward. Uh, being people that can speak in public, it is. It is so hard to watch people who can't speak in public. He does a good job (laughs) at being awkward in front of the public. (laughs) And right off, like, Stella comes out. She's supposed to be the center of attention. And then Diana shows up. And and her American husband stealing that thunder. Just walks up the aisle. And that scene, it's just, you are automatically on Stella's side no matter what happens. Like, she could be the killer and I would still be on her side. It's like, how can you do that to her? Yeah. You know what's going to happen as soon as you step in the door and you do it anyway. And I think Diana does, the the character does a great job of being like, I just can't not do that. I have to do it. Like, I just have to steal attention. It's who I am. That's who I am. Diana is played by Harriet Walker. Who was in... Walter, sorry. Who we've seen before. She was in Orchid Fatalis. She played the professor with the butcher's bike. Yes. In Orchid Fatalis. Now, Harriet is wearing a wig. Yeah. Through this entire episode. Yeah. That I think the directors know is a really bad wig. Because when she's in her room later and her, her head's in a turban, the wig is on a wig stand on her dressing table. Yeah. So they're not trying to hide that she's wearing a wig. No. But I wondered, like... Was Harriet Walter in something right before this where she had her hair cut like super, super short? I've seen her with really short hair. I looked the things that she was in in the like two years prior to this. I couldn't find any evidence that she had her head shaved or, you know, something weird like that or or that she had had to grow it out really long or something like that. So I think it was a choice on their part to say it was a great choice. Diana would wear a wig. So because, that her hair was perfect. Because Stella's hair is so natural. Mm-hmm. That she has to be super fake. Before we get into the film festival, there's a nice Barnaby moment here. With Sarah. Yeah, where she... She surprises she's him. She's dragged him to this godforsaken village. Yeah. And... Not told him where they're going. Not told him where they're going. And then presents it to him. And he's like, you are perfect. Neil Dudgeon does a great job in this whole episode of being starstruck and trying to fight it. Better. I'm going to say better than the Axeman cometh. Yes. Yeah, I agree. 
And and I think in, in both cases, we're supposed to think that Barnaby is really, truly crazy about either the band or the movies. Yep. And he, yeah, he does a good job, especially when he's at Stella's door and Diana walk, Diana's yep. there too. He's That's like, That's <gasps> really good. The acting in this episode is top notch. Yep. The, the acting when Jones and Sarah are on the couch and Barnaby's showing them the movies, I, I have seen you and my children have those looks. <laughs> <laughs> While I have been like, okay, there's this thing you got to see. <laughs> no, really, it's, it's good. It's good. I promise. Just watch. Just watch. I was like, wow. You're gonna give Sykes nightmares. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Diana and Cy. Yes. Cy, because he's American. Who is a who? The actor who plays him. I I don't know his name off the top of my head. Uh, His name is Henry Goodman. Is he American? Is he actually American? I don't know. I didn't look. (laughs) He plays a major villain in Foyle's War. Yes, you're right. And I think he's American in that too, so he he might be American. I I should have looked that up. I'm sorry. And their son, Scott, lives in Midsummer Langley, right? Because he took off from L.A. and went, went to England, and he's been there ever since. Yes, and their daughter. They don't know. No, not not their daughter. It's, it's Diana Stella's daughter. Know. Yeah, Stella's daughter, Scott's cousin. Scott's cousin. There, those are the Davenports. And there's Stella Harris and her her daughter Emma. And we have a mystery to solve. Maybe you can help us with this. What episode is Kate weird in the pub? Because I don't know now. Because <laughs> it's not this episode. I thought it was this one too, and it wasn't. She looks weird. <laughs> I'm glad she's into horror movies. She does a great job. How does she look weird? She's got a dress on. She kind of has that wide-eyed crazy look. That doesn't she... work well in audio, by the way, when you make the face. <laughs> that wide-eyed crazy <laughs> look. See. Yeah. When she talks about horror movies. And that was on this on the, the, uh, film rise. the thumbnail yeah, for thumbnail. Film Rise. So yeah. I was like, oh, this is the episode where Kate's crazy. And... No. No. <laughs> Does there's, Kate ever go to a pub? There's no I'm pub not in this sure episode. if she ever goes to a pub. <laughs> She's at the film festival too, which I thought was a cool touch. Mm-hmm. And Eve Lomax lives at Rose Cottage, which she's renting from Patrick Tillman. Yes. Who also owns Langley Hall, which is like the big country estate. So Patrick Tillman. He's got to be rolling in cash to, to own two properties. Never mind. He probably owns others that he's renting. Patrick Tillman. The question I have is he's so annoying and creepy and weird. How did he get the house? How did he get the other house? How did he keep them? He's like a total putz. Right. And. How did he ever manage to have sex? I don't understand. Has a beautiful it. entrepreneurial wife who's running a, a business. Yes, and he had he had he had sex with Emma. Yeah, and he has another wife. How are these women being not five minutes with him going? No, <laughs> your hair is wow. Yeah. Oh, and then you talked. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, you should go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's creepy awkward, and Colin is uncomfortable awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and they're both awesome. <laughs> I love I love when Jones phones to call Barnaby to the scene. He goes, I'll be there in three minutes. Yeah, he's like looking at the crime scene from where he is. 
So they see the warden organics box at Eve's house. They know it's been delivered fairly recently. Yes. There's something in that box I could not figure out. Oh, really? Yeah, I took a screenshot of it. We'll post it. Maybe they're mushrooms. I. <laughs> it's brown and it's weird. I don't yeah. know what it is. Somebody will be able to identify it, I'm sure. Um, but then we get to see Stella's house. Yes. And my notes, because I'm funny in my notes, say, Stella's thatch is beautiful. Yes. And then, holy moly, the house is called the thatch. Yep. <laughs> it's Stella's thatch. It's Stella's thatch. Her roof is gorgeous. It is. <laughs> Amazing. And she's just sitting inside doing a crossword puzzle. For somebody who made, what, three movies? Yep. And had no career afterwards? She's living in a multi-million dollar beautiful thatched cottage. It's awesome. Yeah. It may be the prettiest cottage in Midsummer so far. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's very... Stella's got nice thatch. Yes. <laughs> That's all I got But her, she lost her husband five years ago. Yeah. A husband who, as we'll learn later on, is a saint. Yeah. And was a good dad to Emma and... Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, adopted okay. Emma when he didn't have to. They were great parents that raised a psychopath, but... Something did go wrong there along the way at some point, but I don't know. I don't know. think it's Michael's fault. Was that his name? Yes, that was his name. It's been dead five years. And we get to find out that Colin said that Eve was not invited you to the film You stole my fur bikini picture. So you're not allowed to come watch the movies. Hmm. Hmm. I can imagine that Colin makes his mind up, and uh, if she'd shown up, he would have, like, physically pushed her out of the door. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> Why I, doesn't Patrick tell his wife that he found Eve dead? Because he doesn't want to say he was anywhere near that cottage. Oh, yeah, because as soon as he said, oh, I found Eve dead, he, she would say, well, what were you doing there? Yeah. Uh, nothing. Fixing the water heater. It's not broken, I guess. I'll sleep in the other room. Bye. <laughs> At first I thought, man, his wife, was her name? Juliet? Yes. Juliet, she's bitchy. And then I thought, no, she's married to him. No wonder she's got that and attitude. She's, she's like busting me, her butt. It sounds to me that she's running a business with multiple people. Yeah. Running a criminal enterprise yeah. with multiple people. There is that. And she's the one who's interested in getting the house back on the market. So it sounds like she's running the real estate business yeah. too. And she's pushing him to get the, the hall rented. And she's got to babysit his butt. Yeah. And he's constantly just creating problems, apparently, trying to get it on with every woman in the village. You can't do that when you live in a little village. It doesn't work. There's only one buddy getting it on with everybody in the village. <laughs> <laughs> Perry. I love when Jones confronts Patrick at the Warden Organics. He's like, so were you sleeping with Eve? Like, as Patrick's walking away, yeah. everybody working there just stops. Er, Jones. Yeah, were you? It's just fantastic. Everybody <laughs> is good in this episode. And his wife is like, probably, you know, she's, she's had so much in him. She's so done with him. She's like, he's like, I'll go sleep in the other room. And she was like, why did you even now come in here? I do think it's strange that Juliet Tillman has the organic veg and then Emma has a nursery. It's like, 
is Midsummer Langley just like where they grow stuff? Is it well, a growing I, place? I think Emma and Scott should run another business, which is they should run a red herring factory. Emma's not a red herring. Emma's not a red herring, but Scott has red herring all over him. Well, they grow plants that I guess the organics end up buying and then selling the vegetables from. But he Perry is Emma's boyfriend, but he works for Juliet. Yes. And, well, I guess I was going to say, okay, so so I guess Scott has no relationship with the Tillmans, so. Because I was like, why doesn't Perry work for Emma? He's her boyfriend. She runs a garden center. He does plant stuff. But, you know, he couldn't be an escort on his delivery rounds if he worked for her. So I guess that's why I just answered my own question. Sigh, the worst dad in the world comes in. He is the worst dad. He treats Scott like he's 12. Yeah, I kept on going. He's 30, man. You need to come home. Uh, No, not gonna. And then, oh boy, the nerve center. We go to Colin's house. Yes. I have a question. It's a weird question. Okay. And uh, maybe our friends in the UK will answer this question. When you come to Colin's front door, mm-hmm. he has a front door. Mm-hmm. And then inside the front door, he has a curtain. Mm-hmm. Is this a normal thing? To keep the draft out. Okay. If you have like an open house, you know, like you don't have a foyer or a hall with doors on it. You ever notice that British homes have a lot of doors? Yes, they do. Way uh, more doors than we have. Way more. Well, Every room okay. has a door. Okay. We have a lot of doors. <laughs> but like our living room doesn't have doors that no. close it off from the hall that accesses it. Right. But they do. Yeah. So I would expect in the wintertime, somebody who lived in a cottage might have a draft excluding drape over their door. But this is not winter. And Colin is weird. So yeah, maybe it's just because he doesn't want anybody seeing his stuff when he opens his door. <laughs> so he has a fantastic collection of Hammer memorabilia in this house. Yeah. He's definitely got great posters. So there are the fake movies for the movie, for the show. Yeah. Like Death and the Divas. Yeah. The Stella Harris films. But there are real movies that have posters that he has... In the house. Right, like the Curse of Frankenstein. Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Plague of Zombies, as we mentioned. He has lots of real books and posters. Curse of Frankenstein is another one. They have, okay. Cater, Catermas? Catermas and the Pit, which is Catermas 3. <laughs> Who I've called Quartermass for yes. like 30 years. Yes. Until just recently, I realized there's only one R. It's Catermas. It's yeah. not Quartermass. Yes, it's Catermas. <laughs> That's my fault. And he has one for the mummy that will show up later on. And he tells Barnaby about the missing fur trim bikini photo. What's up with that vampire Dracula puppet thing? I don't know. I tried to see if it was a, a actual prop. The, he has a, some props, things that look like props, which I don't think are actual props. But looked like the part really well. It looks just like the character from the poster. Yeah. That's right next to it. I'm like, did Hor- did Hammer make a movie with a puppet vampire? Oh, they could have. I wouldn't put it past them. And I haven't seen everything from Hammer, though I've tried. Before we dive too far into Colin's house, we might want to give a little bit of background on Hammer because I think you... If you're not a movie buff, especially if you don't like horror movies, you may have heard reference to it, but you might not really know who they are. It's There's not a person named Hammer. 
right? No. Well, he, actually, there was. Well, but it was his stage name, yeah. right? Um, he was one of the, the kind of founders. But the way Hammer really takes off is that after World War One, they... So before World War One, they had a small studio. They were making little... They were trying to get it off the ground. Yep. Then the war comes. And then after World War One, the UK passed the Cin- Cinematograph Films Act of 1927. Yes. That basically said, we need more movies made by British people, written by British people, starring British people, well, filmed what, by British people. Th- this happened in both Britain and Canada mm-hmm. because the American movie, music, and soon-to-be television and radio industries were flooding the market with product. Right. And people in Britain and people in Canada were worried about their culture being erased by America. And that they would never have a chance to catch up yeah. in those industries if the Americans continued to monopolize them, right? Yeah. So the the Hammer group actually got a little bit of money from the UK government to to um, film what they called quota quickies. Yes. So they were short films, like 15 to 20 minutes, and they started by shooting films that were based on old radio dramas because they were inexpensive scripts to buy and they were written by British people. Yep. But then after they kind of got up and going, they started to think about creating horror movies and then they bought this country house and converted it into a studio and it's called Bray Studios and if you are at all interested in this era of filmmaking you should look up Bray Studios B-R-A-Y because they started out with a country house then they started to build outbuildings and they did it with the intent of being able to shoot all different kinds of films So there are these fantastic buildings that from one side look like a 1920s building, but then from the back look like a castle. It's kind of the precursor to Pinewood. Yeah. Yeah. To Pinewood. Yeah. Yeah. Or to Tewksbury. Yes. Right. Except it's not this big industrial set. It's a few people cobbling stuff together over time, building it up. And so there are a whole series of films that are these horror movies that are shot in the same house and the same stairway and the same sets, but they would like paint the walls and hang different pictures or something. And then they would film another movie there quick and easy. And, but once you, I, I spent at least 45 minutes today just looking at Bray studios pictures, just going, Oh, that's so brilliant that they did that. They build a little parapet on top of that building that they could use for those scenes. And if you light it this way, it looks like a castle. And if you light it this way, it looks like, you know, a a war camp and just so clever, so clever with no budget. So smart. Absolutely. But once they got up and running, they are known now for this series of kind of, campy horror movies they made with people like Bela Lugosi. Which is the middle 60s to the middle 70s. Yep. And most famously with Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. And Peter Cushing. Cushing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they made a ton. So if you think of a vampire movie from the 60s, it's probably a hammer horror movie. 
Yeah, and Christopher Lee is an old man in these movies. He stopped aging at some point. Yeah. Like, he's the original pensioner vampire yeah. because he stays the same age for, like, 30 years. <laughs> so either he aged really young or he he got old and then he just stayed old. The other part of the mid-60s to the mid-70s, and this is sort of British entertainment at a whole at this point. Mm-hmm. It was kind of overtaken by a bunch of likely lads. Yeah. Who liked... Horror, blood, screams, weird camera techniques, and boobs. And boobs, yeah. That's like, oh, you're a playmate? Oh, let's put you in a movie. Oh, you're a playmate with a sister? Okay, Twins of Evil, here we go. We will write a script for you. (laughs) You can't act? Oh, do you have bosoms? Yes, okay. Can you play dead? Yes. Cool, then we'll kill you really early on. There we go. And you can just lay there with your bosoms. So the Davenports have a party. Yes. And Colin is creeping around. Oh, oh. When, he, when he sees Perry, ugh, he gave me cringies. Oh. He's like, it's me, naughty Colin, remember? And Perry's like, I don't know you, I'm out of here. <laughs> Call me. Because apparently naughty Colin, Colin. naughty Colin is a uh, place for all the teams. Do whatever he can. Yep. Get there wherever he can. <laughs> but Perry's like... Don't want to know you. <laughs> one, one little thing before the party, before we get into the party, because that's size death, the second death. Mm-hmm. Did you notice at the cop shop that Barnaby has some things on his desk? No. Oh. What's he got? He has a Sykes mug. It's a mug with a picture of Sykes on it. Actual Sykes or a Russell Terrier? Actual Sykes. Like you would get a, a mug with your baby photo on it? Yes. Oh. Because from the same photo shoot, he has a picture of Sarah and Sykes beside it. Now, I think I've seen that one before. And he has another picture of Sykes. He has two pictures of Sykes and one picture of Sarah. Yeah, well, Sykes is the baby. <laughs> I was just like, oh, merch. <laughs> I don't have two pictures of Fanny on my desk. But really, I don't remember what's on my desk. I haven't been there in a uh, while. Soon. <laughs> soon. We will get out of this house with these children. I actually did go into my office yesterday. And <laughs> there was stuff on my desk I didn't recognize. I'm like, why did I write this note down last March? Well, I don't I, even know what that means anymore. <laughs> I've started a new job. I haven't even actually been to the office no, yet. No. So Colin and Patrick are both being desperately creepy at this party. Yeah. Ooh, when Patrick puts his hand on Diana because he Ooh. wants her to buy the house, she's like, yeah. don't you touch me. Don't you touch me. And he just stands there going, what? What's wrong? What? My hair's in my face. I was like... Can I get some braziers like that for the front of the house? It was pouring rain and they're just flaming on. I was impressed by those braziers outside the front door. So Cy goes over the stairs like he does in the the movie that he is in as the stuntman. He because we yeah, we find out that he played the monsters. So yes. he was known to do little things like that, like to get attention, but he's not pretending. That's a good fall. It is. I mean, I'm sure there was a cushion underneath it, but you see him hit the ground, and I don't know how they did that. He might have been like two inches off the ground, and then they let him go. I mean, that's all you you really need to see. Yeah. But he thumps. He does. So the first movie is inspired by Thirst for Blood. 
vampire movie. Mm-hmm. And then the second movie is inspired by Death and the Divas. Mm-hmm. Because Psy plays You mean this, murder, not movie. Mu- mu- sorry, murder. So Psy the murders are following Stella's... kind of zombie-like yeah. character. So the, the murders are following Stella's movies. Right? Yes. Did you notice that in when they showed that movie, there was some weird sign in the behind them that they were going back and forth in front of? No. Oh, it says, please enter the theater after the bell sounds, because they're in a theater. Right. Jones and John are talking. And John says to Jones, you're a snob. That comes from growing up in the country. I didn't understand that. And as somebody who grew up in a country and is a snob, I understand it. <laughs> I don't think of country people as being snob. I think of the opposite. They're like down to earth, regular people. Is it British countryside that makes snobs? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. think so. I, I was never comfortable. I was never comfortable in the country. Yeah. You weren't really from the country. No. And then, so last week we, or was it the week before we noticed the, the Spider-Man comics yes. in the Barnaby's house. Oh, this week we get, <laughs> bodacious mama above the tv that is quite the painting that to hang is, right above your tv like are you watching the tv or are you watching and that woman is enjoying herself and life she's endowed yes talk about bosoms she is she is like i just had sex or i'm just about to have sex <laughs> It's a, it's just black strokes on a white background, but it's not abstract. No, no. I love how uncomfortable Jones looks in that scene when uh, Sarah sits right beside him. He's yeah. like, um, oh, it's two in the morning. It's two in the, Jones looks so tired. He does such a good tired there. And we learn that Diana stole Stella's career, right? Yeah. And then we learn that Colin has Diana's underpants. Now, which he clearly stalled during the party. Yes. In a Could he be creepier? Well, okay. My question is this. Did he have the panty box before and it was just empty? <laughs> Cuz it, it's like it's like a flag box. Or did he get a special panty box when he got the panties? <laughs> you could stop saying panties now. <laughs> They're underwear, underpants. They're pants. Call them pants. I don't know. But panties just... Bleh. Well, he puts a tag on them oh. with her name. I just hope they're clean, okay? Oh. I just hope they're clean. Good God. Because knowing Colin, he would have preferred to dig in the dirty laundry. Yes. Because he's... Bleh. Well, he's going to write the book now. He's going to write Eve's book now. And this is what Stella says and Emma overhears. Mm-hmm. So we know. <laughs> he's got to die now. Yep. So this whole episode, I'm thinking how interesting it is that Barnaby is interviewing Stella and Diana, who both, out of habit, slip into scripts. Yes. They are actors to their core, that, right? It's so brilliant when she goes to when Diana's apologize at Stella's store. <laughs> to Stella and she starts doing a bit and Stella goofs on the bit. But then Stella does it later. Yeah. Back at her. I found it interesting because it made me realize that other than like amateur theater, we've never had actors as suspects in a midsummer. No. And that made me wonder whether actors are better liars. Like, would they be more difficult to interview? Well, Poirot says he doesn't like movies, 
but he likes actors because their job is to deceive people. That's interesting to him. Well, I went looking yeah. to see if there was any evidence that actors are better liars. Well, and it's difficult to tease apart an actor who's done a crime and that ability because it's so sensationalized. Right. But what I found coming from actors talking about this question is that they are not. They don't feel that they are better liars because they pretend. When they're on stage or when they're acting in front of the camera, they're pretending they're not lying, right? They're doing a bit. They're inhabiting yeah. a different person. Yeah. And actors get permission from an audience or from a camera to do that, yeah. right? That's the scene that they are in. Yes. And that's what allows them to do that in that setting. But outside of that, they aren't necessarily any better at pretending to be themselves, but being false than anybody else's. And even improv actors say this. I read a couple yeah. of things written by improv actors who, again, they're like, I immediately inhabit a character. I'm not me. It's not me. But we're going to test this. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask listeners to do something and I'm going to ask you to do something. Okay. And I've already been asking the kids to do this and you're like, why are you, what are you doing? I'm like, I got, I okay. got to wait. So I want you to take your index finger. Okay. And look at me. And draw a capital letter Q on your forehead with your finger. So I'm pointing at myself. Yeah. And trace a Q on your forehead. Ah, okay. So that, that was a physical bit that we did on radio. Well, hopefully everybody listening did it too. Yes. So this... Mom, why are you touching the <laughs> This psychology professor from the University of Hertford Hertfordshire, Richard Wiseman, he does this, this test... So if you drew the cue with the, ta the tail of the cue towards your left, meaning that it's oriented so that a person looking at you would see it properly, yeah. you are more deceptive than somebody who draws the cue with the tail to their right so that it's oriented for themselves. Oh. Because what that shows is that you intuitively think about how other people are perceiving you more than somebody who draws it the other way and is thinking about it for themselves. Okay, so... So I, he, he hypothesizes that people who draw it with the cue to their own left, the tail to their own left, so it's correct to, to an onlooker, are more likely to be successfully deceptive. So I'm deceiver mixed decepticon here me too and but i think it was because i was like well you're looking at me oh and i'm not looking at me so you so, were drawing it for, for me for you but see that still proves it yeah you're still thinking about how i'm perceiving it more than you're thinking about drawing it for yourself it doesn't mean that you're liar mcliarson okay it just means that if you if you were to lie you would probably be more successful than somebody who draws the cue the other way because they are less habituated to thinking about how they're perceived by other people. Huh. Interesting. So, so let matter. us know what you did. It doesn't matter if you're an actor or not. That doesn't really make any difference. But well, and what if you did like a scripted Q? That well, you have to say a capital printed Q. Printed Q. <laughs> Colin's dead. Okay. Angles of angles of angles. There's so many Dutch angles in this part. A Dutch angle is like... When the camera is tipped at a diagonal. It's obtuse. 
And it's usually up, right? Yes. It's meant to make you feel uneasy. And the more it's proven that the more, the closer it is to 90 degrees, but not 90 degrees, the more it makes you feel uncomfortable. Feel uncomfortable. So how- There's a really good YouTube video I'll link to, which goes through a bunch of movies and has the angles at different angles yeah and you're like oh my gosh i'm descending into madness the tippier the tippier it is the weirder it feels yeah so how how does colin die uh i don't really know other than he's wrapped no no what's his what's what actually killed him okay this is what the wiki says because i was saving this because this is a great wiki entry here Mm -hmm. because i get all the deaths from the wiki so i know them brought in a state of unconsciousness by unspecified means, then put in a chair and suffocated from being wrapped like an Egyptian mummy. Okay. So he's unconscious. Yes. Put in a chair. Yes. Then a rag is stuffed in his throat. Yes. And then his head is wrapped up along with the rest of his body and that suffocates him. Yes. Did he have rags stuffed up his nose? No. Then he would not have died. No. I'm just... Okay, I have to say, two years ago, I wrapped one of my kids up like a mummy, okay? <laughs> Halloween, if, if you're new to the podcast, <laughs> you, because of you Halloween, don't know. Right? Halloween is a big thing for us. We do a huge display in the yard every year. We post pictures of it every yeah. year. We're going to have a doozy this year. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's not uncommon for our children to be part of this. Okay. So I take one of the kids. I first wrap him in plastic wrap, not yes. his head. I didn't wrap his head. Nope. Okay. His body. Then in packing tape and then in cheesecloth. And then we cut up the back. Yeah. And then taped it back together again. And we had a mummy, right? Yes. When I was wrapping him, he had to stand just right for me to do it. He had to put his arms out so I could wrap his arms. He had to stand with his feet together. I could not have done that if he was unconscious. No, no. She she needs to bonk bonk him on the head too. He's unconscious. I don't care. You can't wrap a mummy sitting in a chair unless you wrap the chair with them. But she can bludgeon him to death. Fine. Yeah. I don't care if he's alive or dead. If he's unconscious, she can't wrap him like a mummy. She's a wee woman too. She'd have to lay him on the floor and she'd have to pick him up, set him down. Pick him up, set him down. Pick him up, set him down. Every time you go around him with the cloth, pick him up, set him down. Pick him up, set him down. Then put him in the chair. Yeah. That would take hours. It would. And does she bring the cheesecloth? Does she bring the wrappings? I guess so. Or did she steal them from a prop in his place? I don't know. She's loony at this point. She is... Thoroughly full, loony. Full I will give you that. at this point. But that murder is difficult. Yeah. It takes strength. You're obsessed with the murder, and I'm like watching the video of the mummy. On the TV. Because there's a high priestess. <laughs> and I'm like, that high priestess looks familiar. And I looked her up, and it was Carolyn Monroe. Monroe. Otherwise known as... The bosoms of the 60s. One of the likely lads who ran Hammer Mm -hmm. saw her in an ad for um, some liquor where she is next to nothing on. Yeah. And said, that girl needs to be in movies. She spent her whole career in a bikini of some sort. Space bikini, caveman bikini, vampire bikini. But she has touched so many movies. Yeah. 
Like, okay, so Hammer stuff. Dracula AD 72, which is brilliantly weird and hippie and mm-hmm. strange. Christopher Lee as, a, as an elderly vampire in 1972 London. It's Shagadelic, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> She's in Captain Kronos. Yeah. She plays the character who becomes Captain Cronus's lover because she danced on Sunday. She was in stocks at the start of the movie because she danced on the Sabbath. Oh. While her and Captain Kronos do some dancing later on. But she was in all the Sinbad movies. Mm-hmm. She was a Bond girl. She mm-hmm. was in The Spy Who Loved Me. Right. Like, she worked a ton in the 70s and still works. She did this. She looks great. She looks great. She's got a website that's great that sells autographs. You can you can get a picture from just about anything she's ever done, mm. and she'll sign it and send it to you. She uh, was also in Star Crash. Yes, she was in Star Crash, which I think is Space Bosoms before Barbarella, or maybe right at the same time yeah, as Barbarella, bit, which is the other Space it, Boobs movie. It's a space opera before Star Wars because everything. Yeah change after star wars right right so it's a it's a space opera before star wars so it has that kind of barbarella feel to it and she was in slaughter high which i think is the first school one of the very horror first, movies yeah absolutely like she is fantastic between her uh between caroline monroe and john carson both being in this you know they were taking this this hammer theme seriously because i bet you those people were revered on set yeah yeah as they should be yes they must have so many good stories the back of the bikini picture says february 1970 (laughs) so then we get this scene at diana's place where no diana goes to emma's is that the scene you're talking no okay i'm talking about it's a little bit earlier than this, where after Cy dies, but before Colin dies, where Diana's being sad, and Emma and Rosie are there, yes. and Rosie, who's Emma's daughter, tries on a tiara. Yes, worth half a million dollars. That supposedly belonged to the last queen of Poland. Yes. Do you know about Polish royalty? No, I do not know. <laughs> Strangely enough. I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of Polish royalty. For a few hundred years, Polish royalty was elected. Okay. That's kind of cool. But... Weird. Weird. Yeah. It was kind of a mix of, we like this guy, let's elect him king. And now I'm king, so my son will be king. Okay. But men, we when he's gone, we might elect somebody different. So it's this weird kind of mix of... Elected democracy and monarchy. And I don't know who voted. I could not figure out who who got to vote. Yeah. But the last queen of Poland who ended her reign in 1757. So this is an old tiara. Yep. Has a fabulous name. Okay. Lay it on me. She went by Maria Josepha of Austria. Okay. But her full name was Maria Josepha Benedicta Antonia Teresa Javiera Philippine. Nice. And she was married to Augustus III. Nice. That's a lot of names, man. She was also the presumptive heir of the Habsburg Empire. Yes, the Habsburgs. Yes. But I did not know how interesting Polish royalty was. And 
You got to look up Maria Josepha of Austria on Wikipedia, people. There are three portraits of her on the Wikipedia page. The first one is exactly what you would expect a queen's portrait to look like. The second one, which is supposedly painted when she was like 20, looks like a tiny old woman. Oh my gosh, it's so creepy. It's the creepiest portrait I've ever seen. Oh, we'll put links in the show And then the, the one that note. was painted like five years before she died, she looks like Queen Victoria. Again, she's regal. But in the middle there, apparently she became a gnome. And then she got better. <laughs> It is so strange. That's weird. I was like, this, this has got to be attributed wrong. Like, it, that can't be the same person. So I looked it up in all these other places, like museums, and no, that's her. She had a gnome period in her life <laughs> where she looked like a tiny golden girl, and then she got better. I, I don't understand <laughs> it. It's weird, 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 weird. So I love that Joan sees Perry stop at the Barnaby's house. <laughs> And unlike every other housewife in Midsummer, Mrs. Barnaby doesn't open up the door wearing evening wear. Or head straight up the stairs. Yes. When he comes in. I love that. Like, bring it through to the kitchen, which is obviously up in my room. <laughs> but I also like the way John confronts her about it. Yes. He he confronts... Well, no, I love how Jones confronts Barnaby. He says it's kind of close to home. And then the way that Barnaby talks to Sarah about it. He he confronts her about it in a way that shows you he clearly knows nothing happened. Yes. But he thinks it's funny to bring it up. Yeah. He, he is confident yeah. in his marriage. And her response is good, too. Yeah. She's like, well, he is kind of handsome. He's dishy. Yeah. But then she says, huh, what a swizz. What is a swizz? A swizz is something that is disappointing or unfair. Oh. And according to the OED, the last time it was used in print was 1974. <laughs> when is Sarah from? That what? she's using slang from the early 70s? What a swizz. What a swizz. It means that, that, like, you've been ripped off. Who's writing her dialogue? I don't know. So Emma, in an attempt to get attention away from her that no one is paying. No. <laughs> she cuts her own brake lines. Yes. Crashes the car. No, brake pipes. Brake pipes. And Barnaby what says... What is a brake pipe? <laughs> Barnaby says the thing that has stopped me from freaking out. Well, he... I was freaking out, and then he said it, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Because there is a poster in Colin's house of a movie called Torment. Uh-huh. It's a gorgeous poster. I want this poster. Uh-huh. And I was, like, trying to find the poster, trying to find the movie, trying to find how it related to Hammer, looking all over the place. It's, it's just not a, a made-up movie. movie that they had in there. And then it's about two sisters, and one goes insane and tries to kill each other. I'm like, I need to see this movie. <laughs> It doesn't exist. No. <sighs> but now I know. You want me to recreate the poster for you? Oh, it's such a good poster. <laughs> for a movie if that we're doesn't re exist. If we're recreating posters, the first poster we're re recreating is the poster of Badger's Drift in the hovel from the first episode. Yes. <laughs> so there are two scenes in which Stella and Diana Okay, three scenes. The door 
the door scene is excellent. The way it's cut, the way it's written, the way they act it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. The second scene in which is so good is this interrogation scene because they are sisters yeah. in this interrogation scene and they are not going to have any of your police crap. Maybe they haven't spoken for 40 years, but they're still sisters the and wagons blood are is circled. thicker than water. Wow. And that's a turning point in this episode. Yeah. It's really well done. Yeah. They, and, and Jones again goes back to the Tillman farm. <laughs> Did you know Barry's banging housewives? <laughs> And we had this this little like split second scene of Perry and Juliet walking past each other and he hands her money. So I think what's happening is she's dodging the tax man. She's taking cash for vegetables so that she doesn't have to claim it. Yes. That's what she thinks the cash is from. And that's what she thinks they're doing that's illegal. She doesn't know that Perry is also turning tricks while he delivers vegetables. No. So then... Jones says, you know, making money from immoral acts is illegal. Living off immoral earnings, he says. Which is an old law that I remember in Canada they had to overturn. It's too vague. Well, what was happening is children of prostitutes were getting charged with this law when instead of going after Johns, they were going after prostitutes and their families. Oh. Yeah. That's cruel. So they changed the law because of it. So because a kid got to eat. Yes. Because his mom spent money on groceries that she got from being a prostitute. That kid was committing a crime. Yeah, that's that's how it was being used. So they changed the law because they were basically using people's children as leverage to get higher ups. Well, I was just thinking... What kind of other immoral earnings could you live off of? And it can't be that the immoral act is a crime because then no. that it's the crime, right? Yeah. You're you're living off of money that you've stolen from a bank robbery. Okay, you're a bank robber. That's illegal. So immoral earnings has to be something that is immoral, but not illegal. See, that's like blackmail covers so much gray area there. Yeah. Because right. of it. So I'm going through... What things can you do that are immoral, but not illegal? And could you make money off of them? Like blasphemy. Blasphemy is immoral, right? Can you make money off of blasphemy? There are some death metal people who probably make money <laughs> off of blasphemy. <laughs> Alice Cooper certainly made a living in the 70s That's out of true. blasphemy. That's true. Okay, how about sloth? Can you make money off of sloth? That's uh, immoral. There are some fat <laughs> dudes on the uh, food channel, man. <laughs> They don't have any skills. Gluttony and sloth, right you just, there. You just think they're just making money off of being gluttons? Oh, or the people who do those food challenge things. That's stupidity. Well, That's not yes. immoral. That's stupid. <laughs> yes. If you eat, you know, an entire nutmeg, you're just dumb. <laughs> That's making dumb money off of dumb earnings. Yes. <laughs> and we'd have to shut down YouTube if that was the case. So these... These murders are all following... Initially, they follow Stella's movies, right? Yes. Are there other horror movies that you would want to see Midsummer imitate? Like, if it wasn't Stella's Hammer movies, what is there another like set of horror films or murder movies that you, w- you would want to see them imitate? I always, like, I always thought that Midsummer needed to do a we're all trapped on this island camp kind of 
episode. Mm, the locked room. The locked room, the Friday the 13th kind of thing. The way, and Murdoch did it really well. They did it I on think. an island. They did it on an island. Right. I think they did it really well. And I just thought that there should be a, a midsummer like that. Yeah. Where Jones and him are trying to figure it out as they're, as people are dying off. Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that. See, I was thinking of like American horror movies and thinking, well, if it was like Friday the 13th or Freddy Krueger, you know, like, could they do an episode where people are killed in ways that actually makes them think there might be a supernatural killer? Like, well, they do that with the UFO one. Right. And, yeah, and, but nobody ever really believes it's a UFO. And the and, ghost of Christmas coming up is a little. Eh, I, see, I, I don't think either of the Barnabys ever legitimately thinks, crap, maybe it's real. No, they, they never get that. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not. But then it's then it gets into Scooby-Doo territory. Oh, it's old man McGillicuddy. Oh, well, Midsummer does Scooby-Doo all the time. That's they did true. it two episodes yes, ago. They, they do, do. Scooby-Doo. So. Maybe maybe somebody listening will have another fun idea. But I like your idea. Yeah. They should definitely do a locked room or ice, we're all isolated, trapped together kind of episode. That would be fun. And Sarah should be there. Yes. But probably not get killed. No. Surprise alpacas. What? Did you see the alpacas? Apparently not. Yeah, they're in one scene. How did I miss they're them? They're just in a field. <laughs> they're at the uh, at the organic veg place. They're in the actors' union. They required to be on, <laughs> on, on screen for at least five seconds per episode. So Barnaby's watching the last movie. Stella's last movie. Stella. Yep. No, it's no, Diana's, Diana's first movie. Diana's first movie. The Fall of the House of Usher. The Fall of the House of Usher. And... Okay, so two things. I was like, it's weird that that's in there. Because that's that's a movie that's been done so many times. Wasn't Vincent Price in one? Oh, everybody's been yeah. in the Follow Usher, Usher movie. And then I was like, what is the story there again? And I watched this amazing animation of the Fall of the House of Usher, narrated by Christopher Lee. Ooh. It is so freaking good. And it made me realize how incredibly sad that story. Oh my gosh, it's very sad. Most of Poe's writing was sad. Um, but then I went on a whole kind of hole to try to figure out where that story is set. And I don't know. I think that's on purpose. Yeah, it's totally on purpose. Yeah. Because here it's British. And I bet you you'd ask a lot of people, where's the House of Usher? They would say in England. But it could easily be in New England. Yeah, completely. I mean, there are plenty of old families in Northeast that have family crypts. Yeah. Who bury each other in them. Who have houses. Who have houses on the cliffside. That that are falling down. Down. So I'll put a link to that animation with Christopher Lee doing the voiceover. It is, you know, get your kids around. Put it on. It's creepy. It's mm-hmm. not violent, mm-hmm. but it's scary and creepy. I would watch it every Halloween. Yeah. You know? Did you think the hospital that Diana was in was strange? Uh, since they just let her out? There's an outside door in her room. Yeah, that was a little weird. I think it's a retirement home. I think so. Because it's one story. Yeah. It's a, like a village hospital almost. I think they filmed it at a retirement home. But yeah, Diana just picks her up. Well, we're in such a rush to get into the church. We're just going to not open our, not close our car doors. I'm like, that's a sure sign that something's wrong. Yeah. You may as well say, 
oh, it's you. <laughs> Definitely something going down, right? I'm going to throw the key in holy water. Did you see Action Barnaby? Yeah. He's running like full tilt. He's booking. He is Action well, Barnaby. Well, he did pass the fitness test. He did indeed pass the fitness test. And, of course, Jones is behind him because Jones barely passed the fitness test. So we have this great scene where Stella comforts Diana because mm-hmm. she's been stabbed. Mm-hmm. Because Emma has lost her freaking mind. She's This is good acting. And Emma not looking... Doing everything she can not to look at the font. Yeah. But showing that she's not looking at the font. Well, when she runs into him at the door, she's like, Diana's gone crazy. She's trying to kill. They're down there. And Barnaby's like, no. No. So how does he know? At that moment, when they're running to the church, how does he know that it's Emma? He knows the church because of the movie. Yeah. But how does he know it's Emma? I think because he understands that she's the one who's had the trauma. Maybe. I think it's because it has to be one of the three of them, right? And the things that are happening don't help Diana. No. They don't boost her career or anything like that. And she's too prideful. And he knows that Stella is over it, that she's okay. Stella is... So it's got to be Emma. Yeah. Stella is surprisingly well-adjusted for what has happened in her life. She was. She's not going to be anymore. Oh, no. No, no. Jeez. Emma looks so normal at the beginning of the episode. She does. <laughs> and she is just loony McToony. Blood on her hands. Such great acting. Wide-eyed. So good. Did you see the catch that Jones makes? Yes, the key. The key just snatches no, it out of the air. snatches it out of the air. How many times do they have to do that? Emma's played by Anna Wilson-Jones, who is also in Bantling Boy. Okay. We've seen her before. Yeah. But, yeah, she's nuts. Just... At the end there. It's just such a great ending to a great episode. Yep. Well... With a great location, that church is gorgeous. It's perfect. Uh, They should have ended it 30 seconds earlier. You don't like the Matrix Top Gun references? No! I thought that was stupid. Top Gun, Jones has better taste than that. Matrix, fine. Okay, fine. Whatever. Top Gun, no. Yeah, he should have said Tarantino. Something. Yep. Something better. Something better. Wow, that's Death and the Divas. Sometimes when these shows do movie tribute episodes, they screw it up. No, not this time. Not this time. No, it's super good. all good. Right from top to bottom. They have original Hammer actors playing in original uh, Hammer-like movies. Like, they, all the stops were taken out for this one. Well, I've got a horrible movie for you, but we've got got to do Best Corpse first. Well, okay. Before that, though, there is the thing that we skipped over, which was the website. At one point in time, Barnaby goes to HorrorNet. BritHorror.net. Did you buy it? Uh, I did not buy it. <laughs> Thought about it. Did a little search on it. <laughs> but the movies listed there are My Sister the Leech. Oh my gosh. Centipede Girl. Ew. Revenge of Icarus. Faust's Pact. Okay. Slave Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blood for Cannibals. These are unmade masterpieces because there's a thing that he clicks on for un- unmade masterpieces. And then Empty Vessel, 
Attack of the Mega Rat. (laughs) And the Twisting Screw. That's the turn of the screw. Yeah. Yeah. Centipede Girl. I'm grossed out just thinking about that. Attack of the Mega Rat. I want to see that movie. I'd much rather have Mega Rat than Centipede Girl any day. And the, uh, the sister... My sister, the leech? Yeah, lots of sisters are leeches. <laughs> you know, I mean, really. Okay. <laughs> Pest corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. Eve, Sai, or Colin? We don't really see Eve. Yeah, we do. A She's little bit on the there slab. On the floor. We don't see Sai. Like, we see him lying down, but he's that got could be... best death. Yeah. But he's not the best corpse. No. And then Colin is in the chair yeah so who are you going with i think as best corpse it's got to be eve but i like colin's death even though it makes more no sense at all when he comes to the top of the stairs there and he's sitting there it's a bleak and... you mean sigh no no colin's when he's at the when barnaby comes to the top oh. of the stairs and he's and you see yeah. the mummy in the chair yeah i'm gonna give it to Sai just because i think that would have been uncomfortable oh yeah being all wrapped up like that and he had to sit there and then they unwrap his head and his head has to loll over and no that's colin i'm sorry did i say Sai? yeah you did i meant colin yeah, his so head lolls over really well. Yes. That's a good lolling. I just think Eve Eve does good corpse, but she gets to lay down. Yeah, you I know? can see that. But Colin has to sit in the chair, and he had to go through being wrapped up in something. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to him. I think Stella and Diana, after the credits, do really well. Stella's got her groove back. I think Stella's got her groove back. She's I think the two of them back. will go on tour. Yep. Doing all the conventions. Poor Rosie. Not only <laughs> is she not very much in this episode, but wow. Okay. Let's start with my father, who my, is Patrick Tillman. Ugh. And mom, aunt, and aunt, mom. Yes. Who both love her. Yes. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll take care of her. I think Emma is probably going. To plead insanity. I think so. And so she'll go to a mental institution instead of prison. Uh, I think... Uh, I don't think the, the Tillman marriage has many n- more No, days. no, I don't think so. And I think she'll take him for everything he has in the in the divorce. Mm-hmm. Perry, uh, I think he's still knocking on doors and knocking <laughs> boots. Nobody's complaining about him. Nope. <laughs> he's going to keep on keeping on. Yep. Riding his motorcycle. Oh, well, apparently the the lady seemed to be enjoying what he was doing, so. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's against the law, I suppose. I guess. Living on immoral earnings, Perry. Did you recognize him, by the way? No. Samuel Anderson, he was in a whole season of Doctor Who with Peter Capaldi. Oh. He played, like, the sidekick's friend. He was in, he's been in a lot of stuff. Okay. Are you ready for a horrible movie? This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. I am ready for a horrible movie. Now, I knew I couldn't pick any kind of Hammer movie. Nope. Because you've seen them all. <laughs> Not three, all of them. Three but times. A lot of them. Captain Grotus today. And people like Harriet Walter, who plays Diana, and Sinead 
Cusack, who played Stella, have always made really good choices about what they were going to be in. They don't have any skeleton bad movies no. in their closet. No, they're both very good actresses. By the way, if you thought Sinead Cusack looked familiar, it may be because she is Sorsha Cusack's sister, who plays Mrs. McCarthy and Father Brown. Yes. We may have mentioned that before, yes. but... Um, now you know. She's married to Jeremy Irons. Anyway, so I had to dig deep to find a horrible movie for you. Okay. But I found gold. Okay. Georgina Beadle, who plays Stella in the movies. She's young Stella. Yes. The actress's name is Georgina Beadle. Yes. And I think she does a very good job of being a hammer heroine. Everybody does a good job in this movie. Well, she does a good job at that, but she doesn't do a good job at picking the movies that she's going to be in. This is a 2014 movie that has a 2.4 out of 10 score on IMDb. Here's the synopsis. When a former special ops commando visits Pompeii, his wife and daughter are trapped as Mount Vesuvius erupts with massive force. While his family fights to survive the deadly onslaught of heat and lava, he enlists his former teammates in a daring operation beneath the ruins of Pompeii. Wow. So a special ops commando gets the gang back together to save his wife and daughter from a volcano. This is not Expendables. No. I don't know what this is. It's called Apocalypse Pompeii. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is fantastic. And Georgina Beadle, who plays young Stella, is the daughter in the movie. Wow. So he and his team evade lava by going through underground ruins to get close enough to the volcano to rescue his family. Nice. Using their special ops training. Using their special... Who's the lead in that movie? Uh, somebody I did not recognize. Okay, excellent. Blobbity blah, blah. Blobbity blah, blah. Apocalypse Pompeii, 2.4 out of 10. Wow, I'll put that poster in the show notes. Mm. She was also in this series of obvious Fast and Furious knockoff movies called like Speedy and Angry or something <laughs> like that. Like uh, Speedy and Pissed 2, Electric Boogaloo. Like there's a whole series of them. Yep. They're obviously fake Fast and Furious <laughs> <Yes>. movies. <laughs> Hasty and pissed. Five. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of other other ways to say fast and furious. Not slow and mildly upset. Six. So that is death and the divas. You can find Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. You can add us at all those things, and or on the Facebook groups for Acorn and Midsummer. Just to let you know, the Acorn group on Facebook crossed a big threshold, like 50,000 people in that group or something. Fantastic. You're all amazing. Uh, and the subreddit that we have seen an uptick in activity lately. So Cool. Rapid and roiled. <laughs> How about that one? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do this week, Sarah? Huh. I'm going to put a chess piece on my head. Oh, yeah. So you can be quick and quangry. <laughs> I can't think of an angry word furious with the Q. Episode 94, (laughs) season 15, episode 5, The Sicilian Defense. Oh, it's a good one. It has a fantastic house. It has a gorgeous house. It has women playing chess. 
It has individuals wearing chess. Large chess pieces on their on head. Their, on their in head. the woods. <laughs> in the fog. In the fog. We're it's into really prime midsummer fantastic. stuff. Fantastic. So uh, tell us how your cue went on your forehead. And uh, if there's a horror movie that you think midsummer should pretend to be embroiled in, let us know. Yep. Are you a liar? <laughs> how did you draw your cue? Do Until- yourself a favor and watch a hammer horror movie this week. They're fun and goofy and crazy. Oh, they're not scary at all. They're not scary at all. You can see the strings. Yep. (laughs) All right. Till next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Yeah, because a cursive capital Q looks like a two. Yes. Or kind of a curvy pound sign yeah. almost. That would ruin everything. I think elementary teachers just made that up mm-hmm. when they got to Q. They were like... Because I remember one teacher was like, that's not how you make a Q. I'm like, she told me last year how that's how you make a Q. <laughs> no, it's not how you make a Q.